Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Amen. Well, guys, two weeks ago, I began a series on spiritual disciplines. And uh, those are simply practices for the follower of Jesus to grow in their relationship with God. These practices revolve around um, practical, everyday activities that the Christian should be involved with to cultivate a love for God. Pretty, pretty basic, pretty kind of simple, bare bones, back to the basics kind of teaching that we wanted to jump into. And so I'm not sure if you're like me. Um, but I've ran in Christian circles for like 15, 16 years now, uh, since I gave my life to the Lord. And, uh, I think this might even be more so a trait or a characteristic of Pentecostal circles in particular, but, uh, a lot of the times I'm left asking the question of what does that, and you can insert whatever kind of spiritual language you want or like, uh, Christianese actually mean. Uh, I think a lot of the times I hear preachers say things, and I hear, I hear other believers say things, and it may sound really good, but at the end of the day, I don't know what to do with that good-sounding language. In fact, my wife and I uh, went to a church service um, on vacation not too long ago, and we were in this sermon, and that the pastor and the church is vibrant and excited, and he's a great communicator, and you know, there's just that energy in the room, and I'm thinking, this is it, this is awesome, this is church, this is great, and I'm trying to take notes, but I'm realizing that a lot of what he's saying, I don't have any kind of practical outlet for it, and I was having this conversation with my wife as we left, um, this was a number of months ago. I, I guess this was probably over a year ago now. Um, it was definitely over a year ago. But uh, when, we, when we left, just thinking, you know, it, it sounded good, but I don't know if there was anything practical that I can take away from that and actually just implement in my life. And was wrestling with that because I was thinking as a pastor, I want people, when they come and listen to what I have to say or when we're, we're digging into the word of the Lord, I want you to be able to leave this place with some kind of, with some kind of practical, real-world understanding of how does this spiritual truth impact my everyday life. Because I think that that is important for us to understand that when we read the Bible and we engage with the word of God and we encounter his Holy Spirit and we fellowship with other believers, that it isn't just kind of this supernatural abstract idea that we're trying to cultivate, but really God came and he wants to redeem your entire life. I once heard it said by Gordon Fee, who's this... Uh, he was kind of a major New Testament scholar. And in one of his classes that I wound up taking, he talked about how it was a great travesty that we began teaching that God came to save your soul and that Jesus died to save your soul. And while that aspect is true, we see the language of the New Testament revolving around the fact that he didn't just came 
he didn't just come to save your soul. He came to redeem your entire person. The here and now as well as the future. And I think that's so important for us to understand. And so I think the way that we look at Jesus' life actually demonstrates a lot of practicality around some of these lofty spiritual ideas. And I think it would do us well if we looked at the life of Jesus and we looked at these spiritual disciplines, these practices that he had and, wanted, and looked at them in such a way that we implemented them in our everyday life to make these lofty, grand, spiritual ideals something that was a part of our everyday working and being and doing. Does that make sense? And so spiritual disciplines, and this is kind of the way that I phrased it, are simple practices that if implemented consistently, keyword there, consistently, will cause our spiritual lives to flourish. You know, I hear it all the time. People use this language, this desire to be closer to God. I know a number of times I've heard people share requests where they simply just feel like God is silent or he's far away, and we want to change that. We want to be closer to him, but how do we do that? I believe that it takes intentional, consistent, practical steps that we implement spiritual disciplines. And you'll hear me say that over and over and over again. We're talking about things like reading the Bible, which Adam preached on last week. We talk about prayer. We talk about fasting. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about actually spending time in silence. These things that Jesus did and that he demonstrated um, that I believe strengthened his relationship with God, which is a whole, like, obviously... He is God. Why does he need to have a relationship with himself? Well, we're going to talk about that. It's, uh, it's cool. Um, <laughs> but all of these things he demonstrated, I believe he did it as an example for us to bring us closer to himself. And so I want to grow closer to God to be more like Christ. And I think that that requires us doing some things. Um, I know that that's not exactly something that everybody wants to get behind. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. But I do believe that there are practices, there are things that we can implement in our everyday lives that will strengthen your relationship with the Lord. And so we're going to be looking at them. The promise of the Lord in James 4.8 is this, that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify you. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. There is a promise for us to draw near to God. And I believe spiritual disciplines, these practices, are the practical way that we draw near to God. A verse that has kind of been centering this series and coming together is found in 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, uh, where Paul would tell Timothy to have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so this is, this is for those of you that have been struggling with your walk with God. I want you to know that this series is for you. 
If you have been following Jesus for decades now and you feel like you've never been better with your walk with Jesus, maybe you're consistently spending time in the word and in prayer and you're like, man, this is the most in love with Jesus that I've ever been, this series is still for you. This is if you're brand new to following Jesus and you don't know where to begin, it's for you. And I want you to know that this series was for me. As a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, as, uh, as one that works full-time in a church, can I tell you, it's easy for me to fall into the rut of spending time with God simply with my pastor hat on. And it's convicting. You know, I was having this conversation with my wife just yesterday that it is, Siri is listening to me and has just filled up my screen with everything I just said for some reason. That's concerning. Maybe the NSA will get saved. (laughs) That's what I get an amen for? (laughs) No, but honestly, uh, there's, a, there's a certain sense of conviction uh, revolving around these teachings because I pray, I read my Bible, I spend time with the Lord, I'm in church, I'm in fellowship, I'm giving in these things. And the Holy Spirit really began to, to press down upon some areas of my life and ask, would you still do that if you weren't a pastor? Would you still do that if you weren't leading a ministry? And I would want to say yes with all of my heart, but I I, I think if I'm honest and if I'm transparent before you today, it's easy for me to fall into the rut of being a professional Christian, if you will. And I know not everyone has that luxury, not everyone has that time, but if I were to remove all the time that I spend with God that is focused on ministry, and focused on preparing a sermon here or, or, or engaged with somebody's uh, trauma or counseling with someone. I, I look at my, my, my life with the Lord and it's convicting to me. It's convicting the amount of time that I just spend in prayer just to be with God. Or the amount of time that I spend in the Word just to be in the Word with not trying to find some kind of sermon and I want, to, I want to be transparent before you that that is not okay. In the same way that I would not expect it for you, or I would not expect you to be okay spiritually. I would not expect you to be okay in a, in a spiritual health sense if you spent just a, a casual amount of time in God's word or a casual amount of time in prayer. It's something that if I'm going to ask you to be intentional about, the Holy Spirit has to work on me about being intentional about some things. And, uh, you know, that's not, uh, that's not something that I just love to say. Now everybody's like, whoa, is my pastor okay? Can I listen to him? Is he <laughs> I, I don't want you to be concerned or worried in that sense. I just, I want you to know my heartbeat and my desires that I want to be closer to Jesus than I am. And I want you to be closer to Jesus than you are. And I want you to love Jesus more tomorrow than you do today. And that's a prayer that I have for my life. And I think the Lord has really begun to examine th- some things and point some things out. And that's the foundation. That was where the fruit of this series is coming from. So please don't take this as a pastor Nate thinks I stink and I need to just get my, my, my stuff into gear. 
Um, this is coming from a place where I believe the Holy Spirit is convicting and challenging each and every one of us to take intentional steps closer to his heart. Amen? Okay. So uh, last week, Pastor Adam actually tackled the first spiritual discipline that I really wanted to jump into. And I, I, I was kind of walking Adam through this series that I was preparing. And I said, man, any of these that jump out to you that you want to, that you really want to preach on, um, you, can, you can take them. Because I want you to hear from different voices than my own when it comes to practicing spiritual disciplines. I've been in contact with pastors that I've known for years across denominational spectrums of men of God that I know that just love Jesus and asking them what works for them in their personal life to stay in the word, to stay in prayer, and really looking for practical tips, practical approaches that I can glean from, that I can share with you guys. Because can I tell you, your walk with the Lord is going to look different than my walk with the Lord. And the way that you spend time with God on a consistent basis is going to look different than Darwin does or than Lucas does because we're different people. I think there's some key aspects that need to be implemented in each and every one of our lives, but the format that they inevitably take are probably going to look a little bit different from person to person. Some of you guys are not going to be able to get up at 4 a.m. and spend three hours studying the scripture like Adam does. <laughs> and you're not going to spend these long, uh, long uh, amounts of time in solitude because you have kids and family that you, need to get, that, that, that you need to be involved with. Some of you are working professionals. Some of you have a lot more time. Some of you are retired. All of us are at different places and stages in our walk with the Lord, but I, I don't want us to begin to make excuses for neglecting God. Does that make sense? It may look different from person to person, but the one thing that we cannot do is neglect him and neglect our time with him. And so that's why I've been reaching out to other people, asking for their input, because I want to present to you uh, um, as many tools as possible for us to get this thing right, for us to, to really be mature in the faith. And so, uh, but lo and behold, I, I kind of listed all these different topics that I wanted to tackle. And Adam said, you know what, which one I really want to do? I really want to talk about reading the Bible. And I was like, well, that's great because that's the first one that I want to tackle. That's the first one I want to do. And the reason why I wanted to do that was because um, I believe all the other ones stem from and revolve around the word of God. We cannot... Uh, I mean, if you think about it in this way, there are plenty of world religions that exist that practice uh, studying scripture, that practice prayer and meditation, even in solitude and silence. They practice fasting. They practice giving. They practice a lot of these same disciplines that we're talking about. But what separates us from every other religion being Jesus Christ is the truth of his word that we can take it to the bank, that we can really rest upon the fact that it is true. And so if we remove that from the equation, we're just kind of a bunch of gurus walking around and practicing these helpful things that really are not grounded in truth. 
And so for me, I believe that the most important aspect of all of these disciplines has to begin with the Word of God because all of these disciplines that we're going to talk about come from the Word of God. We're going to be looking at scriptural examples. And so I say this, I'd encourage you to listen to Adam's podcast from last week. Uh, Listen to his message if you missed it because he talked about what the Bible is, what it isn't, how to engage with it. And he gave some practical tips for actually spending time in studying the scripture. And so um, with that being said, I wanted to kind of continue and uh, pick up maybe with where he left off as we continue to talk about scripture reading. You see, Jesus makes it pretty plain in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. I wanted to make that statement. I wanted to look at that verse because I believe that that is what separates our spiritual disciplines through uh, all the other spiritual disciplines that exist throughout a variety of different religions and different truths that are out there. I find that Jesus makes the exclusive claim that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and that no one comes to God except through him. And so, with that being said, as we talk about this spiritual discipline of Bible reading, of engaging in the scripture, I want you to know it is foundational to the walk of anyone who wants to follow Jesus, of anyone that would say, uh, uh, I want to be a Christian. I want to be like Jesus. I believe we need to prioritize the word of God. And so, um, I think I I would stand behind this statement that I believe that anyone who has said yes to Jesus, anyone who has decided to follow Jesus, those of you in this room would wholeheartedly say, I want to read the Bible more, right? Uh, I think I I pick up that vibe, if you will, from most of the people that I come into contact with. I don't meet a lot of Christians that are just like, ah, yeah, the Bible's not important. It's not something that I want to do. I believe that most people want to place God's word at a higher priority than it is, but for whatever reason, they can't seem to. And I want to address today what to do when you're not motivated to spend time in the Word of God. Has anybody ever been there? Has anybody ever, ever been in that place where, uh, you know, it just doesn't seem to be high on the priority list or you struggle to find uh, the motivation to engage with it? You know that it's something you're supposed to do because, you know, Pastor Nate keeps preaching on it or people keep telling you that you need to do it or maybe you just have this certain sense that it's something you need to engage with, but you can't seem to get your stuff together and do it consistently. You may have spurts where you do really good and you start reading the Bible, but eventually it slacks off and and the motivation ceases. And so I'd like to maybe put it this way. I know that I need to eat healthier and I need to exercise more. If I'm being honest, I, I, I know that. I feel it when we were in Italy and we were eating good food and it was healthy and we were active the whole time. I was like, man, this, I feel great. And then I come back here and I'm eating donuts on a Sunday morning and, <laughs> and 
not being as active as I was, I, I, I feel it, but I, I think I fall into the rut of this mentality, you know, it's not too bad. Like, I'm not, I'm not like just glaringly obese. I'm being able to keep up with most of the things that I like to do. I can still snowboard. I can still run enough to play ultimate frisbee. You know, I'm, I'm still snowmobiling. And, and in overall, I'm, I'm healthy enough to do the things that I enjoy. And I'm feeling okay about that. You know, I'm not going to be like winning any competitions, like running anytime soon or like on the cover of GQ magazine. I'm not going to be riding the iron horse or anything like that. But for the most part, I'm... I'm okay. I'd say I'm average, you know, and for my health-wise, I'm okay with that. Uh, Partially probably because I'm lazy and I need to work on some things. (laughs) Um, But I think that's kind of the attitude and the approach that we take with our spiritual health as well, right? That we feel maybe like, you know what, I'm not killing people. I'm not sinning just glaringly. I'm not like out there just breaking all the Ten Commandments. I'm not living in this just kind of mindset of, uh, of, of uh, antagonizing the Lord. I'm not deliberately out here just living a life of debauchery and sin. And um, Maybe you compare yourself to the culture that we're around. And you know what? I'm doing better than most people, Right? I'm doing better than my friends are when it comes to following Jesus. I, at least I'm in church, or maybe I'm giving in the offering, maybe, maybe I'm engaged with prayer and these things, and uh, I, I'm doing okay. But I, I, want to, I want to remind you, friends, that there isn't a litmus test that exists outside of the perfect holiness of God for your life. And we fall into this trap of comparing ourselves with everyone around us when Jesus says, get your eyes off of them and fix them on me because I'm your standard, not everyone around you. And when we look to Jesus as our standard, we recognize how far we are from where he wants us to be. I I used to think when I first gave my life to the Lord, if if I would look at where I am right now, you know, I've been following the Lord for 16 years. I would, have, I would have put money on it that I'd be far holier <laughs> than I am. Because <laughs> I was like, I have 16 years to figure this out. But as I grow closer to the Lord each and every day, it is with great conviction, it is with, it is with a soberness that I realize exactly how far I have yet to go. We don't get to this place of arriving and getting your sticker of you graduated Christianity, now you're mature. (laughs) You get the super apostle award or something like that. That is not the mentality that we need to have when it comes to following Jesus. And so I know that you have pastors telling you that you need to be reading the Bible. You have friends telling you that you need to be reading the Bible. You know that. But I sense that there's some of us here that are still struggling. And it's not that you don't know that you need to, but on some level, you don't want it bad enough. For most of us, we fall into this trap of just being okay and giving by. 
That's a, that's a harsh reality to face. I realize that's uh, maybe a strong language and maybe it, it comes off as a little condemning this morning. That is not my heart behind this. But I want us to take honest assessment of our spiritual lives and recognize that if you're anything like me, you are probably not okay. And you're sitting here maybe asking the question, I know that things aren't okay. I know that things aren't right, but I don't know what to do about it. Some of you have been hanging on and you've been engaged and you just don't know how to stir yourself up to get your heart back in the game. I want to say one thank you for still being in the room. Because there's plenty of people that have walked out those doors because they don't feel like it anymore. If you don't feel like it this morning, I don't want you to take that as the, 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 this is the end. It's doom and gloom and there's no hope for you this morning. You're still here. You're in this seat right now. You're still showing up. And that shows me on some level that you want what the Lord has for you. And that is good. And he can do something with that. Friends, it's so dangerous and deceptive to play that comparison game, especially when we're trying to gauge our spiritual health. And I talked about Jesus being the only litmus test for us to look like. This is what the apostle Peter would write the church. He would say this in 1 Peter 1, 13. He tells us to prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all of your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better back then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Friends, we have a real enemy. We have a real adversary the devil, and he may not be able to convince you to just up and abandon your faith overnight, but I believe this, that our motivation, our heart to follow Jesus is under attack. For those of you that are just barely hanging on, I want you to know that the enemy may not be able to just get you to give up and quit and deny him and just throw away all of your belief overnight, but he will slowly wear away at your motivation. He'll slowly wear away at the things that would keep you showing up, but God didn't call you to just willpower your way through to the end by barely holding on. I want you to know that there is no amount of willpower that anyone has on the face of this earth that is going to keep them in love with Jesus. And some of you guys, man, you are stubborn to a fault. Some of you are still here in these seats today because you're stubborn and you refuse to give up. <laughs> there's a certain tenacity. There's a certain, there's a certain perseverance that needs to be had if you're going to do this Christianity thing. But I want you to know it isn't about willpower this morning. Because you don't have it. And that's not going to work out for you. And some of you feel like your willpower is all but gone. And it's just a miracle that you're still even here. 
His invitation, friends, is one to life and life abundantly. Life and life to the full. It is not designed, his invitation isn't just to one to sit down, shut up, hold on, and just suffer through until the end. I believe that there is hope and a promise of life to the full. And that is from Jesus and that is for us today. My prayer is that this would resonate with some of you today. Because while we're talking about spiritual disciplines, I felt like we needed to take a step back and really examine motivation this morning. We're talking about disciplines. We're talking about doing something consistently, even when we don't feel like it. But I want to be abundantly clear as we progress through these. If your motivation in doing these things, in these practices, stems from obligation, it will not last. I'm not interested in you reading the Bible. I'm not interested in you uh, coming to prayer or being here in a church service simply out of obligation. Is it something that we need to do? 100% yes. But the answer isn't found in just being more disciplined. We need his grace more so than ever before because I fear that we would begin to treat time in the scriptures, that we would begin to treat time in prayer, that we'd begin to treat these spiritual disciplines simply as a task on a to-do list rather than a treasure that we would delight in. And I feel that there are so many of you that have been doing these things and you've been disciplined in these things, and you keep trying to be disciplined in these things because you know you're supposed to delight in them. You know you're supposed to find enjoyment in them. You know that it's supposed to bring you closer to God, and you feel like you've been trying and you've been failing. I want to tell you that I believe that there is grace from the Holy Spirit to succeed in all of these areas and completely transform your life with God and your life with God when it is transformed will transform everything about your life that you come into contact with. It'll change your marriage. It will change your workplace environment. It will change how your friends view you because if you come close to the Lord... He's not going to leave you when you walk into work. If you're, if you're close with Jesus, your spouse cannot ignore that. Because it has the power to transform everything. So I want us to take stock. I want to treat this lack of motivation somewhat like a check engine light, if you will. You guys had check engine lights in your car come on before? I drive a Jeep, and so the joke is that if it's not on, it's burnout. <laughs> or it's on there to just remind you that there is oil in the engine at least. Anyway, that's a bad joke. The majority of people should, at least, when that check engine light comes on, assess what's wrong. It'll give you a code. You can get one of these readers. If you don't have one, you can actually go to AutoZone or... You know O'Reilly's, and they'll plug it in and tell you what's wrong with your car, for the most part. It probably isn't what you think it is, but give it four or five times. You'll eventually figure it out. <laughs> now, you can be like some people, and uh, man, I should not pick on Adam when he's not here. 
Pastor Adam is on vacation, and uh, that's awesome. We miss him dearly. But uh, <laughs> we were young and dumb, and we had cars that weren't worth much money, and we didn't have any money to fix them. So when the check engine light would come on, we would just try to pray it away. And eventually, sometimes it worked, and sometimes it did not. Uh, <laughs> but when the check engine light comes on, you should uh, assess what's wrong with your car. Because believe it or not, it is designed to tell you if something is wrong and something needs to be addressed. But I think a lot of people, spiritually, um, we have this check engine light that'll come on, right? Something that needs maintenance, something that needs our attention, and I believe this lack of motivation, identifying it this morning, is like that check engine light. And it's warning us, something needs to change or you're going to experience catastrophic failure if you don't address what's wrong. It's like trying to run a car without motor oil in it. It will not last very long. And I want to tell you that if you're here today, this check engine light is on. If, you're, if you're, you're listening to what I'm saying and you feel like, man, I'm missing that motivation. I'm missing what Pastor Nate's talking about here. I need that in my heart and in my life. Be thankful that there's a warning light this morning because we don't have to continue on without addressing the problem. I believe that there is grace this morning to make change before it is too late. Does that make sense? My goal as a pastor, the greatest desire that I could have is for you to be a spiritual self-feeder. What do I mean by that? I, I hear complaints from people all the time. A lot of the times people will come to our church for just a brief period and they'll complain about the pastor that they had from whatever church they came from and tell me that I'm just not being fed there. I'm just not being fed spiritually, and I'm just not connecting with what the pastor's teaching, and it's just, I, I need to come someplace where I can get fed, and I want to remind them that babies are the ones that need to be fed, right? My three-year-old knows how to get into our cabinet and into our fridge and feed himself, <laughs> I, I actually did tell a guy that one time. He didn't like what I had to say. <laughs> He's not here. Uh, <laughs> but I want you to think about this. If you rely on me to feed you spiritually, you're not going to have a very uh, nutritious kind of allotment that'll last you a week. You get me for maybe a few moments once a week to, 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 to come from you from the scriptures. I would so much rather you treat this like a, like a dessert that you have every once in a while. Because none of you eat dessert every day, right? You just eat dessert like once, once in a while, right? You don't have sweets daily. It's like a, man, this is a special treat. You eat healthy, nutritious food all day long. Every day of the week, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I envy you. I need your help. Pray for me. I need an impartation. But uh, I would so much rather you treat our time together here on a Sunday morning as the exceptional, man, this is awesome. This is kind of the bonus from what I've been eating and what I've been nurturing myself with God throughout the week. Your life will change. Your life will transform and it, it's a desire for me 
that you're not living solely off of what we're doing here on a Sunday or even on a Tuesday night when we're in deeper project, even if you fill your time with all the things that we do, I do not believe that you could be spiritually healthy and nourished without spending time with the Lord in his word on a consistent basis. <laughs> okay. Jesus emphasizes the importance of the word of the scriptures and his temptation in the wilderness. And I'm not going to do a deep, deep dive on this, but I want to highlight it very quickly. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, we see this encounter that Jesus has with Satan. He's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He is hungry, is what the scripture says. In verse 3, it says that the tempter, meaning the devil, came to him and questions his identity. He says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Something Jesus could have easily done. But he responds with this. He answers and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I need you to take some, some, some notes here just from this quick, these quick little passages of scripture. The very first thing I want to highlight is the fact that Jesus was tempted by the devil. You are going to be too. You are not better than Jesus. <laughs> you have not arrived at a place where you are immune or exempt from temptation. We have a real enemy that exists, and he does not want to see you succeed. And I feel very strongly about this. I've had a number of conversations with people this week. I experienced it in my own life that there is an attack from the enemy. And he wants to tempt us. And it's probably not tempting you into doing something just blatantly evil. The Lord, the, the enemy isn't going to show up and just tempt you to, hey, walk out on your family and start doing meth. It doesn't happen that way. He's not just going to tempt you to start like, oh, hey, just go run over a bunch of kids in your car because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, woo. Everybody would be like, get behind me, Satan. You're an idiot, right? He tempts you into just... You know what? Spending time in the Word is not that important. You know, actually going to church and being around other believers, that's not that big of a deal. You can figure this thing out on your own. And there's these subtle little lies that begin to kind of creep in. And I believe that's where the enemy is most successful. It's not getting us to abandon our faith overnight. It's just getting us to not prioritize it like we once did. But I love this because Jesus doesn't engage the devil in some kind of epic battle. He's not up there like arm wrestling the devil like you would see on Facebook, right? He's just not beating him to a pulp. And he doesn't like cosmically shoot him off and just get rid of him with his like super Jesus powers, right? What does he do? He responds with the word of God. He responded with the scripture, and our greatest tool in combating the temptation of the enemy is reminding him and ourselves of what God has always promised in his word. You see, Jesus relied on scripture rather than some complex and unobtainable spiritual ability that we don't have access to. He confronted and overcame Satan's temptation with the simple word of God, which I know for a fact everyone in this room has access to.
We live in one of the most biblically privileged times in all of history. I saw just yesterday, or maybe it was like three or four days ago, uh, that it's been like 15 years or something since the Bible app came out on the iPhone. Maybe it was 10 years, I, I don't know. It, it was an anniversary of some sort. It had to be 15 years, right? The iPhone's been out for like 15 years, I think. And uh, it's like the most downloaded app, I think, there that has existed. Something that, woo, like we need to like celebrate that and champion that because there are people all around the globe that have access through to the scriptures because of a smartphone. That's awesome. And I, it's something that we should, for the amount of Bible that we have in our culture and in our communities and in our lives, it does not reflect proportionally with how we engage with it. And it's devastating. I think Jesus here highlights that the spiritual sustenance from the word of God is even of greater importance than physical food. And this is coming from a man who has not eaten in 40 days. That should say something to us of how Jesus prioritizes the word of God. These are things that you know. If you're anything like me, maybe you've been in church and you've heard these things, you've heard sermons like this. This isn't news to you that you need to be engaged with the scriptures, that you need to be reading the word of God. And you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I just don't know how to change. I don't know how to get to the place where I love the scriptures like I ought to do. I think this lack of motivation to read the scriptures I think it's directly correlated to lack of revelation regarding the worthiness of Jesus. I do not believe you can love Jesus without loving his word. There is a strong relationship between our hunger for his word and our love for God. John 8, 31 says this. Jesus is telling the Jews that believe in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. There is this connection of abiding in the word of the Lord and actually being a follower of him. There's a greater promise to that where he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Guys, if we don't spend time in his word, I believe it's essentially saying we actually don't want to spend time with Jesus. That's a terrifying statement to make because I have been at that place where I have neglected to spend time in the word of God because my to-do list was too long. I had too much stuff to do. I have been in that place where I would rather go fishing <laughs> than spend time in the Word. I've had those moments where I would rather go snowboarding than spend time in the Word. And I'd be okay because, you know, I knew I had to spend time in the Word to at least, like, study and have a sermon, but felt like maybe that made up for the fact, you know? I put in my diligence there. 
And I'm not okay with that. My prayer is that you wouldn't be okay with that either because essentially every single time that I'm saying that is I would rather prioritize my interests over God's. I'd rather prioritize my time and what I want over being with Jesus. And this isn't, friends, hear me. I'm not going to give you a structure where you need to spend four hours a day or an hour a day or give you some kind of timeline or something to, to, to make you feel like, man, this is what I have to do in order to be right with God. That's, that's not this mentality. I just want you to be intentional about whatever time you do spend with the Lord. I got a lot of mileage, friends, this week. Actually, the last couple weeks out of Psalm 119. And uh, here in just a moment, I have a handout that I'm going to pass out to everybody. Because, you know, we're talking about spiritual disciplines. I felt like, well, what's the best way to put a discipline into practice? Because when I, I remember taking geometry. Anybody here take geometry? Uh, I remember that class having an excessive amount of homework. Now, if you're like me, uh, I was firmly against the idea and the institution of homework. <laughs> I felt like I come to school to do schoolwork. I don't want to do schoolwork when I am at home. I, I think that that mentality does not work anymore uh, today. But uh, I remember doing fairly poorly in that class in comparison to a lot of the other classes, because I refused to do homework. And I remember coming into the final and not knowing most of the things that I was supposed to know on that test because I didn't do the homework. I still wound up passing the class, and uh, I, it's a miracle in and of itself. God is gracious, even upon my foolishness. But I know that one of the ways that you build discipline in any kind of subject, in anything that you would give yourself to, whether it be in athletics or whether it be in knowledge and, and learning something, it's by putting it into practice, right? You don't learn something by not doing it. By doing it, you actually develop habits and traits and it becomes like a second nature. So I'm going to give us homework and it's simple homework and it's something that I pray that you guys would engage with that you would prayerfully consider, not just treat it as a handout that Pastor Nate's just giving us because it's something to do. I do believe that if we will do this, if you're struggling with motivation, if you're struggling with really engaging in the Word of God and having a passion for the Word of God, I believe that this simple exercise over the next week has the potential to change everything. And um. I'm hoping that you'll join me on this journey, but Psalm 119, 33. I'm going to read just 33 through 40. Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem, and it's the longest chapter in all the Bible. Uh, it's the, obviously the longest psalm, but it is something that is unique in that almost, almost every verse, um, and there are some sects of Judaism that will claim that every verse um, minus one actually has direct reference to the scriptures or to the word of the Lord. What we do know about the psalmist in Psalm 119 is that there is a strong passion and desire for the word of the Lord. 
and what comes across in every stanza and in every line is that this person loves God's word. And so my prayer as I've been reading this, as I've been coming to this passage of scripture on a consistent basis is, God, I want to love your word like the psalmist loves your word. And I want this to be true of me. I want to reflect on your word in the same way that the psalmist would reflect on your word because obviously it was working. But I love verses 33 through 40 and one verse in particular. It says, teach me your decrees, O Lord. I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands for that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than for a love of money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. Help me abandon my shameful ways for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. My time and my intention are given to the things that I love. Anyone that knows me, you're to ask people in this room even, man, what does Pastor Nate love to do? Man, I... what, what would I love to do? Snowboarding, fishing, jeeping, ultimate frisbee, right? Wow, that's great. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody said my family. <laughs> my wife is just like, ah. <laughs> wow, conviction. My time and my attention goes to those things, right? None of you said Jesus? Wow. (laughs) You're really playing into this illustration, right? Thanks. And regardless of if we admit it or not, we only have a limited amount of attention to give. No one's a superhuman that can just give attention to everything on the face of the planet. I think oftentimes God gets the leftovers of what we have left at the end of the day. I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, most of the time, I'm pretty exhausted. I don't have a lot left to give. And the reality is, God, and this isn't like some kind of a, you know, you have to spend time with God first thing in the morning to make it count kind of spiel. I just know for me, I don't have a lot extra in my tank to give if God's not first on my priorities. I think sometimes we feel like, you know, our responsibilities as a mother or as a father or as a husband or as a pastor or all of these different things you can enter in there, they're real responsibilities and we have real expectations from other people regarding them. I just want to tell you and remind you this morning something that you probably already know. There is nothing more important than your relationship with the almighty God of the universe. So please don't let... The, don't let the lie of the culture that there is something more pressing that needs your attention than your relationship with God. Everything else will fall into its rightful place if he is first. But I consistently find myself praying this prayer. Psalm 119, 37. 
The psalmist prays this, turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. I love the New King James here. It says actually, revive me according to your word. I want to revive passion, revive hunger for the word of God. If we ever have needed revival, it is now. And I, I just, I, I sense this, that there are those of us here in this room where it feels like we're stagnant, where we're, where we're just kind of lifeless and God wants to breathe life and revive you according to his word. Notice here, it doesn't say, turn my eyes away from evil things. It says worthless things. And I just want to, I think there's a lot of things that we give our time to that aren't necessarily evil, but they're certainly not worthy of eternity. This morning in frustration as I'm just arguing with God and I'm going over my sermon and I'm really asking for him to bless this, that this would connect with people. I went and deleted Facebook off of my phone because I realized, not a a big, and this isn't like anti-social media. Some of you are like, woo, yeah, well, that's great. But man, I realized just the other day that I have spent such mindless amounts of time just on my phone because I'm bored and I'm sitting there. It makes, makes zero sense. It's something that's worthless in the scope of eternity. Anyway, I say that because I, I would so love for the Lord to help us in turning our eyes from worthless things that we might be revived according to his word. I'm going to ask um, those that were helping me, Mark and Tina, if you could just pass these out. And if you could pass me one too, because I gave you all of them. Thanks, Tina. I have a handout today. I don't typically do this. But I'm particularly enamored in this season of my life with Psalm 119. And I felt like, man, if there was something that I could practically put in our hands that would help cultivate a love and a passion for God's word, um, I wanted it to be accessible. Because I know some of you, man, you're like, man, I'm so in love with Jesus. I'm so loved with his word. I spend so much time in prayer. I spend so much time in Bible study. I'm just crushing it. And then I know that there's other of us on the other end of the spectrum where it's so intimidating for us to even begin to think about how do I get there. I think that this little piece of paper that I gave you has the potential to change everything. And I realize that that seems like a lofty statement, but if you can find yourself falling in love with the word of God, I guarantee you that is a prayer that Jesus will always answer. If you ask him, Lord, reveal your word to me. Help me engage with it. Help me love it like you love it. I believe it'll change your life. So what I did was I broke Psalm 119 down into just seven days of reading. It's about 25 verses a day, and I would encourage you. I kind of gave some instruction here. There's some passages of Scripture that I would encourage you to kind of look up. One of those is Psalm 19. I encourage you to read it. I encourage you actually to pray it. 
But to spend, you know, 25 verses, that's not a lot. This is in conjunction with what you're already doing to spend time with the Lord. But just find time, be intentional this week to carve a particular moment of time out where you're not distracted, where you're not going to be interrupted. If you're a spouse, uh, if you have a spouse that, you know, um, if you have kids, I'm thinking of my own life. Um, be honest, have a conversation with your spouse saying, you know what, I need some quiet time. I need, I need a moment to myself and I need your help. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm not, we're talking maybe 15, 20 minutes here. And that's if, you, if you, you take a lot of time. You could do this in just a few minutes. But I would so encourage you, friends, uh, take this, pray over it, kind of read what I have written here. And I would like for you to try to engage with Psalm 119 this week and just simply ask the Lord to give you a heart like the psalmist that you would love God's word like he would want you to. And as you read this, as you pray it, um, I'm, I'm believing um, that the Lord's going to answer that prayer. And I feel like this is a great introduction and a way to start. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.